A More Beautiful Life podcast, recognizing, appreciating, and integrating earliest life experiences. There are times in our lives when we all yearn for something. More contact with others. A special relationship. A better job. More time to oneself. More respect. More love. More support or, well, anything. It can all be summed up in wanting a more beautiful life. You just fill in the blank for what equals beauty for you. My specialty is healing our earliest traumas to discover our truest nature. I've been working at understanding this paradigm for a long time, since 1999, when a client remembered her birth during a craniosacral session. She explained to me that she felt healing her birth experience would relieve her lifelong depression. That experience took hold of me with such passion so that years later I'm filling in the gap between our ancestral past and our present lives with recognition of our earliest life experiences starting preconception. It involves appreciating how we adapted to our difficulties and then integrating any overwhelming experiences into our current lives. Welcome to A More Beautiful Life. This podcast includes luminaries from the fields of infant mental health, prenatal and perinatal psychology, colleagues and experts in trauma resolution, advanced body workers, clients who want to share their stories, authors of pivotal books and articles, and people who, in my opinion, have sought out a more beautiful life. Join me, Kate White, and our honored guest as we explore a more beautiful life. Enjoy. Today on the show, I have Molly Carol May. Molly Carol May is an author, teacher, and writing coach. For over 12 years, she has facilitated personal story workshops for hundreds of women across the country and recently online. Her focus is voice and where language meets the animal body. Her memoir, Body Full of Stars, Female Rage and My Passage into Motherhood, was named a searingly eloquent memoir and led to her TEDx talk about modern female rage. She has coached postpartum storytellers for the stage and is at the end of her third and final year of somatic experiencing trauma resolution training. Her mission is to democratize expression, work with the story as a healing tool, and explore the powerful intersection of narrative and the nervous system. After a childhood spent in five countries, she now lives in Montana with her husband and their two children. You can read more about her and her work at mollycarolmay.com. And today on the show, I have Molly Carol May, who is um, a, a presenter in our upcoming one day event for people on birth trauma, healing birth trauma that's called Birth in Pieces. And I've invited her to come on the show today and just talk a little bit with me. Thanks for being here, Molly. Thanks, Kate. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, this is so fun for me. Because um, for a long time, you were just this person 
out in the universe. And, you know, people who had come to me and just said um, they were trying to heal their birth trauma. And they talked about this book, Body Full of Stars. And gosh, the title just takes my breath away, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I have to know this book and I have to know this person. And, and then like I had a whole string of people like just come and say, yeah, I'm taking this book with this, this class with Molly. And uh, I'm like, okay, right. I'm going to have to get serious about meeting Molly and here you are. So it's, it's so great to meet you. Yeah. It's the same. And as I mentioned earlier, um, we have so many overlapping people. And so um, I'm really touched by the work you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And likewise, I mean, I, um, we were just talking a little bit before, just a little bit about the work that you're doing. So would you be willing just to share with people what you what you do? You're a trauma therapist and a writer and a story maker. So please tell people. Yeah, all these things. It, yeah, so at first I am um, a, a story maker, a writer. I have two books out in the world. And um, I use that term story maker because I believe we make our stories or at least we have the agency um, to make our stories. It's not a passive experience. Um, I'm actually not a trauma therapist. I'm not a therapist. Um, I'm not a licensed individual, but I am. I just finished my somatic experiencing training, this three-year program. And so in you know a month, I guess I'll have my credential there. Um, so I do blend um, narrative and nervous system sort of to they're they're like two two pieces that work so beautifully together um to from from what i've seen to really create um like a more full-bodied healing experience you know i've I've been teaching narrative workshops personal narrative workshops for 12 years and i always knew even 12 years ago I, i could see people get really far and understanding their story and feeling aligned to it and feeling healed by it. And, but, but the body part wasn't there. And I just knew that I needed some training to integrate the body piece so that, so that the, the, um, I don't even know if I want to call it, I don't know if healing is the right word, but so that the completion of something felt full bodied, you know? And so that's why I sought this training. So that's, that's what I blend those two pieces. Can you say more about full-bodied? Like, what, yeah. do you, what do you mean by that? I mean that I think we live, at least probably most people listening to this, live in a Western culture where we're very um, accustomed to using our intellect and we're accustomed to um, creating narratives in a way that that makes sense for us. I mean, there are, I'm sure many people who are listening to this are intelligent people who could talk their way around a therapist like this, you know, (laughs) Um, and as can I. Um, And of course it takes a really attuned therapist to notice that. And um, my curiosity was, well, what if we, if we look at how language emerges from the body Hmm. and then also how um, language informs the body. So being both bi-directional essentially. Because um, we can change language, we can top down it, we can change language and rearrange things in proportion, and that will trickle down and affect our physiological response. And as you know, we can work with the physiology and then we have just natural uh, impulsive, impulse-oriented language that emerges mm-hmm. um, in a new way. So that's my curiosity is doing both of those at the same time and then seeing what happens. 
Well, storytelling and story making, as you put it, which I love that term. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, it, like you said, it's it's ancient, it's old. It's, yeah. And yeah. part of the way we used to even teach people about how to be in the world was through story. Yeah. And totally. there's something that's very captivating by just saying once upon a time. And <sighs> people tend to just settle in like, <sighs> oh, great. I get to hear a story and it enlivens their 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 brain their imagery their heart their whole body can get really involved in listening at least that's my experience of story mm-hmm. so it's yeah. really being more explicit about it like we're going mm-hmm. to work with a full, holistic form it sounds like to to yeah. make narratives uh, and you actually encourage people to write them right down yeah yeah to write them down and also the what you mentioned there, the collective field is really important. So I am a huge proponent of saying, yes, you know, write your story in your own space if you like, and you can keep parts to yourself. And having it in a shared field is huge. It's part of our um, it's part of our social animal to be in a circle and to speak out and be heard and be reflected back. Um, it's a really important part of of story. And in fact. I believe that story, um, and I've witnessed that story, uh, it needs the container of a group um, to to be the, the, the fluid thing it's meant to be. So often I, in my own life, if something has evolved in my own story, I will reach out to my closest people and say, hey, I need to tell you this so that you all can hold this frequency with me because you have that other version. And unless I tell you, um, I, I need you to energetically hold that. And that's a real thing. It sounds all woo, but that that's real. Um, that, that how our stories are being held by our community really matter and affect us. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah. um, the, what brought us together beyond our passion for story and the nervous system is birth and birth story. Yeah. And I have found that yeah. there's nothing more potent. Uh, it feels like or alive when it mm-hmm. comes to storytelling, there's a way that one person's story can lead to another person's story. And it, it just is a place of, um, I don't know, eternal, or I don't know what the right words are for it, but the telling of the birth story, just, it has good, good, good parts of it that have really nourishing. And also it mm-hmm. can be intense for people who, especially if they've had yeah. a bad birth experience and they don't want to tell their story, like, what is your experience? Because I know you teach this. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, it's interesting. This is this is the first thing I'm having the desire to share. Is that part of it feels like just creating a safe space, share their story, um, knowing that. Well, let me back up. I think if someone has had a really positive, quote, positive birth experience, they might feel like they don't want to share that story because they know there are a lot of women who have had an experience that they might call traumatic. Mm-hmm. And so that person might feel like, you know what, I don't want to step into this space. I don't want to be all full of, <laughs> full of my own sense of power and then make these other people feel diminished. And that person needs space for her story because that's an important story to share as does the woman who feels completely obliterated by her birth, mm-hmm. you know, and feels shameful. And so for me, it's about creating space where like, these can all exist and actually they speak to one another and they hold one another, but all these stories hold one another. So that's the first piece um, hmm. for, for me. And 
so much, so much of what I see in people is that there's, there's um, an immediate shame reduction, right? When a story is told, when someone feels like, oh, I, I couldn't, I've heard this so many times. I thought I would be able to do it and I couldn't do it. You know, those are the, I'm doing this because that's the language I hear all the time. Um, and to tell it and to be met and held by others is just, it's, I can see, I can see that people's faces changing. Um, and for, for me, it's been really helpful to locate, especially with birth, because what precedes birth is pregnancy and what, what, comes after is postpartum mm-hmm. for people to look at, okay. in that whole arc, um, where did I feel, um, my, where did I touch into my shadow and where did I touch into, where did I feel my most collapsed self? Mm-hmm. And also in that whole arc, where did I feel my most embodied empowered self? Cause there are both. You know, so, so for me, actually, for me, birth, even though it was, um, I had a surgery afterwards, it was actually, that for me was an empowering experience. Pregnancy and postpartum were not for me. And so, you know, my birth really is like this foundation that holds the other two. And for some people, it's that their postpartum really holds something that the other couldn't or vice or something, you know, there's always something in there that holds us. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful because I, I also teach that. And I, when I work with women, I usually have them, I, I teach them about the layers and I start actually preconception, what happened before. And then, you know, how was conception? Was it easy? How was pregnancy? Then how was the birth? Often the birth, we even have to make it into more layers. Like there's, yeah. there's, there are different times when you feel you're in sync and in rhythm. And then there are things that can happen that can be ruptures or disruptive. Then after I find often it's in the after that there's so much difficulty too. And, and so then when I'm trying to help women track what happened, a small sentence can be like, you know, I had a baby, which is just a few words becomes this huge narrative then and then if you if i slow the pace down enough mm-hmm. and then they can settle and find the goodness like where was there that one nurse or was there yeah. those those good strong i help them find strengths in it yeah and yeah. the other day i was walking a woman through her experience and we were just dropping into the strengths in each of these layers and by the time we got through all of it and we went to touch the difficult place it was very manageable Um, so it's so important to help people get like there's there are there are probably strong places I love what you just said like they all hold they hold each other so it's Mm -hmm. it's good for for women out there and for for men and for families and also providers to know that there is a sequence and to be able to hold the whole is, is definitely important yeah. And it's, I, I, it feels to me radical actually, because oftentimes people either are interested in the trauma, right. Or they're interested in like the cult of positivity, you know, or, and so, and to hold both, there aren't a lot of spaces that hold both. So people, I think I ha- I've seen that women either have the experience of someone saying to them, a provider or a family member saying to them, look, 
it wasn't that bad. Like, let's focus on the positive. Right, and the right. woman then feels totally not listened to. Right. Or, or they have the experience of saying, um, the woman feels like she's of this generation, you know, where all her grandmothers and their ancestors weren't heard. And so she feels like I'm going to tell everything. This is me. I'm going to tell everything, all the hard stuff, and no one's going to stop me. And I'm not going to focus on anything that worked well because I haven't had space to talk about all the hard stuff. And so then they get stuck in this thing. And so to have both in a space, it really feels rare and it feels radical. And, and it feels sort of like the, the um, I don't want to say the only way, but the most potent way to travel through it. Well, it has worked. Women, I see women get better almost right away by, yeah. by working with this narrative in this way. Yeah. And I slow it down and have them feel their body. Yeah. Like you do yeah. when you do this story and the body work. Um, the name of the class you've created is called Story Mammal. Is that right? Yeah, Story Mammal. Yeah. And can you tell people a little bit more just about yeah. your work, yeah. what, how people can find you and all that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, Story Mammal is the, is the main class I teach online right now. And I use that phrase because um, I believe we are story mammals, right? So we're mammals, but we're also meaning we're like many other mammals. Um, and we also are creatures of story. And that I, I do believe, at least from what we know, separates us on some level from other mammals. Like it is in our DNA to tell story and to commune around story. And so how do we engage both parts of both of these essences of us um, for our own embodiment? and vitality really. So I teach that that's a six week course online. Um, and eventually I'll be teaching in person again, probably next year. I used to do that a lot. And those are smaller groups, the online groups are bigger. Um, and really it's a, an exploration of, again, the top down, bottom up, um, within community. And so people come in and I, we work on for many, it's, it can be a birth story. It's not particular to birth stories. Um, it can be anything, but it's, it's in the container of the story of who I am. So we all have a story of who we are, who we think we are. Um, that's been, it's an amalgamation of many things and that can get stuck. Um, it can get stuck by a traumatic experience. It can get stuck by lots of things. And my intention and purpose is to help people or to facilitate, I don't know if helps the right word, facilitate people into that remi reminding of the fluidity of our story and how to stay sort of in this. I'm doing this with my body because that's what it feels like this fluid space of like things. There's no stuckness. There is essential self, but there's no stuckness in our story. Yeah. And so people are curious about that. I have a website, mollycaramay.com and it's all up there. Yeah. So, so what are writer's blocks? Is that like a block mm. in the body? I mean, is that, mm. what, what do you say to people who say, I'm in a writer's block, Molly. How do I get out of this? Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I have a couple um, thoughts on that. The first is I, we, I don't think um, we, we, again, live in a culture that is not connected to nature. And so we believe that we need to be on all the time or able to be on all the time. So if I can't write for two weeks, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And my question, my first question is, well, if you're in a female body, what's happening with your cycle? For one, your menstrual cycle, 
what what's happening with the moon what's happening what season are we in how do you feel um is this a fallow period and actually does it need to be honored as a fallow period because because writing um you know, all the writing books, right? Say, write every day for three hours or sit in your chair and do this. And I actually, I don't agree with that. I think there might be a season of your life where that makes sense and that aligns, but it feels so personalized. So that's really my question. Would My question back to someone is, um, what's your rhythm? What's the rhythm of your creative practice? And have you even thought about the rhythm of your creative practice or tuned into it? Um, the other piece is fear of failure, right? So people have the sense, well, I'm not going to do it because if I do it, I might fail. So I may as well not do it. Or it feels too big. I want to write a book. That's really big. So we break it down just like SE to baby steps. Like, okay, we're, we're working with real tiny baby steps to just get to a place where suddenly we realize, oh, I've written a book through baby steps. So that's part of it is, is getting, it feels a lot of like unlearning of what we've been taught about how to step into creativity. Mm. Oh, it's so moving, so touching. I, it makes me want to just start to write. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, it's been wonderful to even talk with you a little bit. I know that we're going to have a chance to be with you at our upcoming Birth in Pieces workshop, which is coming up in January. Um, I know that there may be people listening to this podcast who don't know that, that we're having an event in the online school, the Pre and Perinatal Healing Online. So you'll be doing a, a reparative, is that's the name of your title, Story as Repair? Yeah, this the, the reparative possibility in your story or so something like that. I forget the exact title, but yeah. yeah. And so we'll be combining um, your presentation with a few other practitioners, including myself and Kathleen Kendall Tackett and Kimberly Ann Johnson to really bring a very nourishing day for people who want to heal from birth trauma and I, I really want to encourage everybody to find you and f- come to that day. And I feel like there's something very uh, important about helping people um, write a, their story and most importantly for women to work. And, and also I'm wondering, do you ever have men come to help heal birth story too, or is it just women? You know, it's a good question. I, I haven't had, um, I've had men in my classes before, but not the ones focused around birth and healing, though my partner's man and he has, we've done some things together um, early on when my book came out around his experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he often will say that he feels like he, he had, he had a traumatic experience in my birth, you know, um, just as a witness. And so I think there's a whole open door there for so much healing for men, partners, for partners, any, any yeah. partner. Yeah. I would like to see more of that. I do work a lot, a lot with partners and yeah. uh, they have a tendency to really just feel so helpless. And then yeah. they have a certain rage or a certain energy that turns within them that makes mm-hmm. them, then they try very hard to forget or stuff it in some, yeah, yeah. some way. That, but it does start to affect the family. So I, I have done some beautiful healing work with partners um, yeah. and, and we're hoping also to do more with providers. I think that it'd be fun to see you do a class with um, midwives, nurses, doulas, mm-hmm. um, not so much the medical establishment, but those who are also caught in just, just in the witness role. Um, right. So. Right. 
I mean, I would even say, just to add, I would even say those in the medical establishment too, because here's one example of like a resource for me. I got transferred to the hospital Mm -hmm. um, with my first birth. And the first thing the doctor said to me was, he looked me in the eyes. He said, I know you don't want to be here, but we're going to take care of you. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that part of your, (laughs) I'm reading your book right now. And I am that that part. I'm like very touched by that provider who opened their heart to you in that way. It was incredible. It was, it was key. That was key for me, you know? So. Mm. Well, I I would, it would be great to unpack some more of what you think are good key elements for helping women, but maybe we'll do that in another podcast. So that's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Molly. I'm hoping that people will find you and find their body and their narrative uh, with you. And so I ask all my people who come, like, what what makes your life more beautiful? So, Molly, Mm. what makes your life more beautiful? Mm. Um, You know, what makes my life... um, more beautiful is really feeling my own and, and the, my own continued sustained growth in the company of the continued and sustained growth of my loved ones. That to me is like the magic mm-hmm. of living um, is to see relationship evolve. So, yeah, well, that's beautiful. You're so young to already know that. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, not that young, 42. So not that young. <laughs> yeah, but your children are young, eight and yeah. four. Mine are 22 and 17. Yeah. And I had my arms around my my older 22 year old, six foot two man, you know, now. And yeah. I just remember him being eight and four. Yeah. And yeah. I do it all again. So I um, feel like you have a yeah. good a good thing going for yourself there, Molly. Yeah. Thank you, Kate. Well, yeah. thanks for coming and I'll see you again soon. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks, Kate. You've been listening to a More Beautiful Life podcast. To support our show, please go to Patreon forward slash A More Beautiful Life.